Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Forest Spirituality with me, Julie Brett. Today I want to talk about Ostara and the spring equinox and it's really late. I am running behind because this time of year is so busy. I've had so much to do. Um, I've been traveling around, I've been holding workshops and rituals and learning from other people and also going on activist um, adventures basically to, to learn more about issues on the ground. Um, it's been also a really busy time in my garden um, once I got home and so many things that needed planting and moving and setting up that um, doing the, the podcast has fallen onto the back burner for a couple of weeks. But I think that's just part of how these things go. There's different seasons for different things. I was, um, you know, there's sometimes when I make a lot um, because I'm working a lot in that headspace, that inner world, and um, working things out and thinking about things, whereas at the moment I'm really active outwardly and and it's uh, can be difficult to sort of formulate these ideas and put them into words and um, do something like making a podcast. There's, there's different seasons for different kinds of activities in our lives and that's really what these talks are all about. So um, it does kind of make it relevant. Uh, this time of year, that balance point at the equinox, we're moving from the dark, uh, sort of more in, internal, um, dark not, not in any negative sense, but in the sense that it's, you know, we're inside more, there's more uh, nighttime hours. We, we tend to do more things like reading and research and thinking about things or talking to people. And, uh, you know, that's, it's more sort of that inner work that we do, maybe even more meditation and, and um, things like that, uh, sort of inner work type thing. Uh, and I, I find it's a time when I'm planning and thinking about ideas and literally in the garden I might plant some seeds but also have those seed thoughts in that dark time coming out of it but uh now moving into the light half of the year it's the you know there's literally more active hours in the day uh we can get out in the garden we can travel more it's a comfortable temperature to be outside doing things and you know there's more opportunities to to get things happening um just literally because there being more hours in the day to be active so there's there's more things that we do um, put into action. Those those ideas can get um, started to to be real world um, activities. So um, yeah, I've been as I said doing a lot of travel. Uh, I've been one of one of my seed thoughts, I guess, over the winter time was thinking about um, environmental grief and uh, a lot of these issues that you know, we're, we're facing as a planet, you know, there's, there's so many things happening in the environment in the last, well, you know, it's, it's ongoing really, but, but things that have really come to our attention, I think quite brutally this year. And, um, and I was feeling quite low about it, uh, during the winter and, and thought, what can I do? You know, what can I do about this? And for a while I've been planting trees and keeping a garden and, um, you know, doing doing my little bits and and um, you know trying to make sure we do our recycling and we we uh, do things like we use soap nuts for our laundry uh, and you know we are we've just moved house but we're we're wanting to put in like uh, water recycling systems and things like that to make sure that we're being as efficient as possible. We you know um, we only buy secondhand clothes um, like, like we do a lot of really. Uh, 
environmentally conscious things to try and do our little bit. But I, I just thought, gosh, there's, there's got to be more I can do. And, um, and how can I do this, you know, with, with the skills that I have or the, the things that I can do in my life? What, what activism is going to work best for me? And for some people, it is those small actions and, and sharing those with other people and, and inspiring other people to do them. Because if we do little actions as a whole, that makes a big difference if everybody's doing a little bit. But I do have a voice. You know, I do have this opportunity to speak to you on the podcast or to people online. Um, and, and I thought, well, maybe it would be good to go and learn a bit more about one, about um issues that I care about on the ground, like actually going and learning about them myself rather than relying on news sources that, that could be biased some way. Um, a lot of news sources um, have funding and who's who's giving the funding? You know, it, it can be difficult to, to work out whether you can trust news sources at some sometimes. I mean, it's, it's really good to learn to be able to recognise and discern for yourself what a... a a reputable, balanced source of um, journalism is, uh, and you know, and find out where that funding might be coming from. Which you know, who who owns the newspaper? Who is backing that information? And is there a vested interest in it? But if you get on the ground, if you go and talk to people who are living the experience, who understand the subject from within, um, then you can make up your own mind about what it's all about. And, um, and I found that really fascinating. Uh, so I went on this tour called the Yama Nungabaka Corroboree Bus Tour. I didn't actually go in the bus. I took my own car because I decided to go on to Adelaide afterwards. Um, we drove uh, up to Walgett and through Brewarina, Burke, um, Wilcania, and the Menindee Lakes. So all places that had been really affected by loss of the river, basically. The river is dry um, or stagnant and it's not in good shape. And it was really, really interesting to go and learn about this from the people that live there and from people that really understand the, um, the environmental damage um, Aboriginal people who could tell us about the, the long history of stories that they have in these places and how the river is supposed to work, even in drought, and, and you know, the, the way that the environment copes with um, that stress and how the differences in the ways that agriculture is affecting the river uh, through dams and chemical um, pesticides and fertilisers and things like that was actually causing massive massive damage and of course the the drought is an effect has an effect on it too but what they were saying uh was that the the river is um capable of dealing with drought it has done for a really long time and they have stories that explain how the fish survive um by burying themselves in the mud and um you know and these these stories explain how the the system continues to work it's an incredibly flat land so the river very very rarely went dry even in really, really low periods of um, you know, high, high drought situations, um, when the water was low, it would still flow. And, um, yeah, there was not this um, stagnancy. And they, they think it's created by the weirs and it's also created by these enormous corporate um, dams that have been put in upstream that are just sucking the water out 
some people telling us that they had witnessed the river moving backwards because of the force of the, the suction of some of these dams taking the water from the river. And, um, you know, all of this information um, was was told to us, you know, in, in bits and pieces through the, through the time that we were on this trip. And every day we would stop in a different town and they'd have a corroboree for us. And a corroboree is an Aboriginal gathering for dance and storytelling and songs and explaining, um, you know, the, the meanings behind the songs. So these, there were different groups of people that had come from all over but also from the local areas and they were telling these stories about um, the river and the resources in the area and they would tell the same stories over and over each night if they were one of the groups that was with us every night and sometimes they were uh, just there for the, the, that one night in their area and they'd come along just for a couple of them. And so we got to see these songs over and over again and after a while you, you realise... Uh, they tell you a bit more information about it. They, um, and and you get the song in your head through the day, and you, oh, I remember that song. That's the emu song. I remember the dance for that one. Oh, I might ask a bit more information about that. And and then you you wait till there is that that's dan- that dance comes on, and um, and then you do hear just a little bit more information, and you can see like through doing this process over a number of nights how um, valuable this this system of knowledge sharing was that through these easy to remember and recall songs um, that we would, you know, repetitively hear, it would, it would help us to understand certain concepts that are really important to those spaces. And I thought that was fascinating, really wonderful thing to, to witness and, and um, uh, you know, understand how these oral cultures can hold so much information um, and these memory systems of, of song keeping and storytelling in place, like as a mnemonic device, they'd sometimes be saying, oh, and that mountain over there and this mountain in that direction mean different things and, and telling those stories or they'd, they'd be talking about the river itself or, or different animals that we would probably see during the day as we were driving from one place to another. And, um, yeah, so you'd, you'd realise, oh, that's that mountain when you start driving past and you see the landmarks and, and it's helping you to understand the land too. So that was just really amazing to experience. But also, of course, I already had a, a lot of respect for Aboriginal knowledge of the land and the way that these stories hold a great deal of information about the resources in the land. And, um, you know, they they have a long history of knowledge too. One of the places that we went through was Brewarina and that has these fish traps uh, in the river there that are the oldest man-made structure on the planet. They're 120,000 years old and they still have stories there about that place that, that have you know been maintained for an incredibly long time about the fish and about the river. So, you know, like they have the knowledge about how these things work. It was just so great to go there and, and understand the value of these Aboriginal knowledge systems and see how important it is that we bring those into our understanding of river management. So, um, yeah, like just going out and doing these things and getting involved and talking to people on the ground and then coming back and being able to share it with you um, is such a amazing thing to have been able to do. Um, and if you have the chance to get out there... Um, you know, if you're feeling inspired about something, moved to understand something more, go out and give it a go. Like, 
and and be brave because like sometimes we get scared that oh I won't know anyone or I won't know you know maybe I don't know enough or or maybe you know like all the different worries that might come up about going on something like this but um I didn't know anybody when I signed up for this not not anyone I didn't know that if anyone was going on it that I would know I don't turned out that I did know one person but we didn't spend heaps of time together I ended up making a lot of friends from people with people who were complete strangers before and by the end they felt like family we were all so close and um you know you share so much and these journeys are so moving and um heartbreaking but heartwarming at the same time in the sense that we've found this solidarity in a group to to share this experience and to really care about something together and show support and and you know find passion about something that we want to do together as a community and that we want to spread the the love of these places and these people and these ideas further so it was just a wonderful experience I, I couldn't um, imagine it not being when when you put yourself in situations where you really care about a subject and take time to just learn about it and hear um, more about the subject and and find out more um, information like in that grounded way um, right there in person so that's one of the things that I've been doing in this um, period of the spring equinox moving from from that dark into the light that initiation of um, uh, that movement and into action and activism uh, the other thing that I've been doing is learning about and sharing rituals to help with the process of dealing with environmental grief so having experienced quite a lot of that feeling in the winter time when I was learning about things online I wanted to find a way that um, druidry or, or ritual practices could help us to um, process uh, what we were going through and um, you know share share something of our tradition at the same time as our our grief and love really because all of the feelings that we have for the environment I think come from love um, whether it's sorrow or joy um, it comes from a feeling of really loving the earth and um, yeah sharing those emotional feelings for the earth as a group so the first thing I did was went to the council of all beings which was held up in the Bunya mountains um, with Cherry up there an obod friend thank you Cherry it was wonderful um, so the Council of All Beings is something that was started by people like John Seed and Joanna Macy and some other people as well. There's a book called uh, Thinking Like a Mountain um, and that was really interesting to read before going up there. Now these groups aren't spiritual in the sense that Druidry is um, but there are certainly... Um, aspects of what they do that really has a lot of crossover with what Druidry is about and uh, I really enjoyed particularly um, the practice of taking time as uh, individuals taking time by ourselves to go into the forest and listen for an ally to um, you know just wander and wait and see what was speaking um, in the forest there what was you know what had something to say that we could speak for uh, and that was a really lovely thing to do and I felt like 
it, we only had, a, I think it was an hour, an hour and a half to, to go and st- sit in the bush and I just felt like I wanted to stay forever. It was, <laughs> it was such a wonderful place to be and that practice of just listening to the forest without any, um, you know, need to be somewhere or, or, you know, finish a walk or be somewhere kind of on time or do anything in particular, just to listen. Um, it's always such a beautiful thing to do and um, to do it in the sense that you were going to take something back, that there was a message waiting there to be spoken. It felt like there were so many messages, so many things that could have been said and that there's, there is a lot to be gained by just taking time in the forest just to listen, not just you know in order to speak for the forest but to healing ourselves and our connection with the forest I think is an important part of that too. Um, so in the, the ritual, we would come back and uh, after making some masks and things like that to embody these allies that we had connected with, we came back to the circle and took turns, um, speaking for our allies, sharing information and also taking turns being representatives of the humans were sitting in the middle, middle without our masks on. And, um, yeah, it was really moving and, um, those, a lot of the things that the allies were saying were quite um, emotional and, and you know, there was a lot of hurt uh, and, and blame of the humans for having messed things up. But there was also this sense of love and acceptance and understanding and compassion and hope that, that you know, we could not necessarily fix everything but, um, you know, change our perspectives to try to shift, to make a difference, to, um, you know, become again part of um, big nature. You know, the uh, the Japanese term is coming to my mind sometimes that happens. Um, Daishizen, like the, the big nature, the like the... Uh, it is weird learning another language. Sometimes you just can't think of the the word in English if maybe there isn't one um but yeah like the the sense of of the nature being really whole and our our part in that um being really important as well and that you know we we are wanted you know we are we are a part of nature and um and that we find peace when we take that time to go back into nature too uh there were so many beautiful messages in that and it was really fascinating to learn about that so I've got a lot of gratitude um I also uh wrote a ritual called the earth gorseth um before I went away and uh the idea of that is that we use this idea of the gorseth the the coming together of bards for the purpose of Eisteddfod uh to express our feelings and and um often a gorseth can be about a seasonal practice or something like that but this in this case it was about um you know that particular intention of speaking for the earth of talking about environmental issues that we cared about so um I wrote this ritual where we would um explain a lot of the issues that we were caring about we would uh, you know have a have a bit of a a news reel of different things that that were um concerning everyone and then um we would all bring a piece of wisdom that from the earth, like after going around and looking at, um, you know, taking some time, just a few minutes even, 
in nature around us in the ritual space to find something that was speaking through us and it's amazing when people bring just a little token of a message from the earth and so everybody added those to the to the altar and then uh, we had sharing from the bards so we had some songs and poetry that people had written or that they found appropriate and uh, we we shared those and that was lovely and uh, then we also just did a sharing circle where we spoke from the heart about these issues things that we cared about and um, wanted to have um, heard really Um, because a lot of this is just about finding solidarity finding that that um, sense that you're not alone, that there are other people that care about these things in the same way as you and that there's there's often some kind of core message that ends up coming through um, or, or some, you know, solidarity energy um, that the group um, comes to. And, uh, yeah, I felt, I felt like uh, that was love, that, you know, what, what makes a difference here is loving the earth, having that... Um, that relationship with the earth that creates the joy and the sorrow uh, in us for everything that happens, you know, those beautiful moments that you spend in the forest where nature speaks to you are brought about similarly to the devastation bringing sorrow and sadness. It all comes from a love and a connection with nature and perhaps the, the way that a difference can be made here is through people having more of a connection in the first place taking that time to to go and listen and spend time in nature so yes that was really lovely to to share those and thank you to everybody who came along it was really wonderful and and people who um were running the the council of all beings and the yamanangabaka corroboree tour and it was just wonderful to be part of all of it um yeah, I had an incredible journey and I'm still really processing it. Like I, I would really like to do some more writing on the whole thing, uh, but there's a lot there to unpack. Um, I'm lucky to be uh, attending a um, Earth Healers support group here in the mountains, which is really nice, and um, getting involved with that where we we're talking about environmental grief, but not on a spiritual level. It's more about sharing our experiences with being involved with activism and um, just having that solidarity that uh, that helps people to get through um, these difficult times emotionally. Um, I've also been getting more active in other ways, I suppose, as well, not just in activism, but, but like getting out into the garden. Like, of course, like these gardening metaphors are such an important part of that traditional wheel of the year with moving through that planting phase and the fruiting and then the harvest and then the, the rest time. Um, so those sort of characterise the, the seasonal cycles and the ways that we understand what's going on for us in our psychology, I suppose, um, in our personal development. And uh, now is a time, well, you know, Ostara is a time when, when a lot of seeds are going in but also some seedlings that were planted a bit earlier are starting to get out into the garden and there's lots of soil preparation and putting in all of the beds and all of the ideas that we had in the wintertime are, um, are being put into action. So that's kind of happening in life as well as literally in my garden. I'm also um, getting more involved with our community gardens 
which is really fun. Uh, we have a beautiful community garden space here with um, veggie patches and fruit trees and all kinds of things. Um, as there's, they've even got a native garden there and, and some beautiful ritual spaces. So that's really lovely. And I'm looking at doing some more um, public and, and um, members only uh, things with an OBOD focused seed group, um, which is a first for me to, to be getting into it in the seed group sense group sense. I've um often done Gorseth type rituals which were open to anybody and were about the seasonal cycles and looking at Australian nature um connection. And those will continue. I just would really like to have um more involvement with um other OBOD members because I felt such a um well welcome. I felt so welcome in that community and um that that my ideas there are are um been welcomed as well and it's really really nice to to sort of work within a, a community on some of these things so so um if you're in the mountains and you'd like to get involved it's called the blue mountains seed group and um you can email me about it at the the blue mountains seed group or one word um at gmail.com so yeah if you're in the upper mountains in new south wales um, in the Blue Mountains there, um, do get in contact. And we've also got a Friends of the Blue Mountains Sea group uh, on Facebook if you want to see what we have or are going to get going for a more public event. So, um, yeah, that's a little thing that I've got happening and awakening with the spring as well. So that's good fun. Hopefully we'll be able to get some things happening up here in the mountains uh, and help that OBOD community to be a bit more strong and and I'm looking forward to being more a part of that which is great great fun so um also I guess the other thing that we notice is of course the native things that are happening the the garden and the the sort of metaphorical meanings of this time of the year are um worth looking at of course as as I have been um, but then there's the, the native cycles and what's happening there. And I think that's also showing a lot of waking up as well. Um, I found that at the equinox, it's almost to the day that uh, I start seeing the first flies and insects and reptiles, uh, even if it's just little skinks. and um, uh, I, But it could be snakes and the, the blue tongue lizards and you know, all, all kinds of things that rely on that warm weather and a bit more sunlight um, to get out and about, um, they're starting to wake up. And, and here in the mountains it happens at um, at that seasonal point, that um, Ostara spring equinox time. You might find where you live that it's actually a different time. If you live in a warmer place it might be a bit earlier or a cooler place a bit later. Um, and maybe uh, where you are... Um, you know, your lat uh, latitude. Yeah, I think I'm at 33 here. So if you're further north or further south, it might be different um, for you too. Uh, so yeah, watching watching what's happening in the bush can give us those lovely symbols as well. And it's nice that it sort of has that same symbolism of waking up and, uh, you know, coming coming out into the world. These, these creatures have been hidden away in the earth, hibernating, um, through the dark time and they're they're coming back out and making the whole world buzz and rustle and shake and be full of um, all the wonderful creepy crawlies that, that make the earth feel alive. 
there's also the the wattle has been blooming and around that time of um, the spring equinox it stops uh, or at least uh, eases off and then the the sort of less abundant varieties will will continue to bloom through the year there's always something wattle blooming I find um, it's just that we get that big dump sort of between uh, midwinter and the spring equinox but yeah that it's like markers to me that that inspire that's the time of inspiration in that period that wattle being like the sun or the drops of Arwen and and that that beautiful symbolism of um, the the light or the the shining, the inspired uh, brightness, um, and uh, I love seeing that. But also, you know, from this point, there's lots of other wattle, uh, sorry, wildflowers that that come out and start blooming into the the summertime, and uh, they they do ease off after. The, the summer solstice and uh, yeah we start seeing more green growth through the other half of the year but um, from now until um, well until uh, here just just a bit after the this the summer solstice really uh, we'll get bottle brushes and uh, waratahs hakias and all kinds of other um wildflowers coming out and it's really a beautiful time to go out into the bush and to see them all it's just so pretty lovely time to go out and take pictures and and see that beauty and color uh, that isn't necessarily there the rest of the year it's a really pretty time so um where you live it might happen at a different period um, when I was down on the beaches it was definitely more so uh, the early spring around Imolk that had that flourish because we had the croweas that grew there and they would come in bright uh pale pink bursts through the bush along along with the wattle um but here they sort of uh tend to come a little bit later and we get um things like the tea tree and the bottle brush blooming around midsummer but yeah so um thinking about what you've been noticing is always a lovely way to connect with these wheel of the year changes uh get your nature diary out and see what that shift is bringing in your place and uh, this is part of a series so if you'd like to listen to more um, seasonal observations they're um, dotted through my uh, playlist of episodes you can see where I'm looking at different seasons and um, perhaps listen to the one that suits where you're at. I've only got one left to go because I started at the uh, the fire festival the, the midsummer um, at the beginning well at the end of last year and um so I decided I would do a year's worth and and then review and see if I wanted to keep going with it and um because I've got so many lovely interviews that I'd like to do I think I might go back to focusing on the interviews and maybe just do some talks about sort of random subjects whenever I'm feeling the the vibe of that um but yeah so I'll have the Beltane one in a couple of weeks um because it's coming up really soon so yeah um but um yeah it's been great fun doing this and I hope that you've got something out of listening to them all and um seeing what it's like to make these observations through the year I'm sure that I will do it again as I live in the mountains for a bit longer and have these experiences um deepen um because I've only been living in the mountains here for three years and I think it takes quite a long time to really understand what your wheel of the year is about in any place so um it's not something that happens immediately it's something that takes a bit of time to uh, build and deepen 
as well. And of course, if you'd like to know more about all of this seasonal practices, you can check out my book, which is Australian Druidry Connecting with the Sacred Landscape. And you can find that all the bookshops online have it. Um, or you can look at it on my website and get a signed copy with a couple of uh, art postcards added in there as well. Um, it's www.forestspiritjewelry, and the jewelry is spelled J E W E L R Y dot com. And uh, you can get a signed copy from there and I'll post it to you. So thanks very much for listening. It's been awesome to talk to you about this spring equinox movement from the dark into the light and all of the activism and activity that that's brought up for me. I hope that it will inspire you to seek out your own kinds of activism and action in the world and feel that, that lovely energy of moving into the light half of the year. Next, I've got for you a beautiful song to finish up this podcast. Uh, it's called Bloom by Alana Lowe. And Alana sent me some of her music just the other day and I was really pleased to hear it. It's beautiful drone type music and I imagine it would be lovely to have as background music during a ritual or even just to pop it on and have a bit of a meditation too. This song's called Bloom so I thought it was just right for after our um, springtime podcast moving into that summery part of the year. So enjoy. See you next time. Thank you.